Hi, I'm Iris Muller. I'm a certified rehabilitation counselor and a proud mom of two children, one of whom has quadriplegic cerebral palsy and is nonverbal. And I'm Alma Schneider, a licensed clinical social worker and the proud mom of four children, one of whom has Prader-Willi syndrome. In this podcast, we discuss the uncensored truth about raising kids with disabilities. Prepare to laugh, cry, and hopefully learn something new. This is Two Moms No Fluff. Hello, everybody. We are Alma Schneider and Iris Miller, which is me and Alma on the other screen. Uh, happy to invite you to join us today for another episode of Two Moms No Fluff, where we discuss the honest truth about raising our kids with disabilities and how does that feel like. And today's topic is... Hello, everyone. Today's topic is changing or adapting our home to accommodate our child with disabilities and all that entails. And as many of our episodes go, this is just the first in this topic because there's so much to say that we don't want to have you on our podcast for five hours. So eventually we'll have speakers on the topic. We will have, you know, different uh, products, you know, that we'll talk about that have been really useful. Um, but for today, we're going to do an overall general discussion of not only the, the items that we've had to buy or the little tricks that we use to make our house accommodating, but also how it feels, because we always want to have an emotional component to this, because this is that's something that a lot of people don't talk about. Um, there's a lot about the practical things that we have to do, but what what it feels like to have to do this and what it feels like when other people come over and see this. So let's just get started. Um, we both, <laughs> I think we both have quite a bit to say about this topic. Iris, you have a child who uses a wheelchair and I have a child who cannot get into the kitchen or the food. <laughs> so who should start? Who should start today? We don't want to make this a competition about who, who has to do more in their house. I don't know if it's a competition, but I think that <laughs> everyone who has a child with a disability, whether it's a sensory sensitivity or epilepsy or whatever you want to name it, they need to accommodate something and change some of the things in their home. Yes. And as they say, home is where the heart is and also tons of other durable medical equipment. <laughs> and, uh, I guess a uh, guess that we didn't think that we are going to host on a daily basis, like tons of AIDS therapists and uh, other services, social workers that do their occasional visit here. Uh, I think that one of the things that uh, I definitely put at the top five of the list of losses with uh, the change to having a child with disability is privacy and the sense that my home is my sanctuary because now it's feel it feels like the world has invaded and there's yeah. not a uh, you know uh, usually i think in a house it's where you kind of like allow yourself to be yourself and you can kind of go crazy i don't know if people still walk naked in their homes these days or not but definitely in our house where there's like lots of people you have to just behave all the time and that's quite a challenge. Alma, do you want to start? Well, I, I'm going to commiserate with what you just said. When um, Lincoln was first born, I had two other kids at the time, and um, we were fortunate enough to be able to get an au pair to help that we hadn't expected. We hadn't anticipated getting an au pair, but because I really felt strongly about um, 
uh, pumping to, that Brian uh, Lincoln, that Lincoln would get breast milk, even though he couldn't suck because of his syndrome. I was very intent on having him you, get breast milk. So he also was fed through a tube that I've mentioned in other episodes. He had a G tube in his stomach and I pumped. So between the feeding and the pumping of the milk, that took me away from my other kids for that where I couldn't run around the house. So I too had a privacy issue. We were we did get an au pair because it was a lot less expensive than having um, you know a full time nanny. But the downside, um, downside and upside, is that um, there's a lack of privacy because she lived with us. And as much as we loved her, and she was great, um, it's having another person in your home at all times. You know, I found myself whispering all the time um because you know you just want to be as private as you can and that's tough you know and i didn't realize how much that took out of me until we were over those years um where we had to have an au pair so yes the privacy for us was short-lived i know for you it's ongoing and that's a real it's it's a different way of life again i will call it an alternative lifestyle but that's that's one thing so yes not walking around naked um not not um, expressing yourself as much as you would like, and which might be a good thing if you're not, um, you know, able to yell or <laughs> scream as much as you would like. Uh, but that, you know, it takes its toll because, as you said, your house is sort of your refuge, and to not feel that way all the time is hard. It's hard. So um, moving forward, um, uh, we had to do a lot of things in our house as our son got older because if you know anything about Prader-Willi syndrome it is a syndrome where the individual does not ever feel full it's a it's a, a, a an issue with the hypothalamus in the brain and people who have this syndrome are always hungry and never feel full that means that everything needs to be locked up at all times the food because unfortunately people who have this can eat to a point where it's a it's a life or death situation where if if a door is left open or if they are allowed to enter cabinets or the refrigerator and nobody's around they could literally have a stomach rupture that can result in death so it's a very very serious um issue and we have dealt with it in a variety of ways but we've had to change the the nature of our home Fortunately, we live in a home that has two doors to the kitchen. So um, at, initially, we simply locked the refrigerator. We put a lock on the refrigerator and a lock on the cabinets. So I'm saying that in a very cavalier way, like, oh, we just put a lock on the fridge and a lock on the cabinets. Now I'm going to put on the emotional hat. Um, having to do that, it was, for me, uh, very disturbing but at the same time, a huge relief because I knew that he would be safe uh, if we had everything locked up. But it felt like you were number one, living in a prison and number two in, in many ways. And it was very hard on my kids as they got older because they, it was embarrassing to them. Like people, their friends would come over and they'd be like, why do you have locks on your cabinet? Why do you have, you know, a lock on your garbage, you know, drawer? Why do you have a lock on your door to the kitchen? And, you know, until the kids got older, they were fine with it later. But um, when they were younger, it was very embarrassing to them and they didn't want to be in the home. So, you know, 
these are things that we can't change. This is our life, and we really need to keep Lincoln safe, and we still do. So uh, we have lock. We originally had the locks on the refrigerator and the cabinets. He got old enough to figure out how to open those because they were kid locks and it was we've had a variety of locks on the fridge however a lot of times the other kids will leave the fridge open or leave the cabinets open and it just it just didn't work so um eventually we had to put locks on the kitchen doors and with a keypad where he doesn't know the code and Again, that's not foolproof. Sometimes the door is left open by accident, but for the most part, it does work. Um, but it's very hard on the other kids. But every single time we enter or leave the kitchen, we have to we have to lock those doors so he he can't you know sneak in. Even if we go upstairs for two minutes, the nature of the syndrome is such that um, people tend to act very quickly, uh, like a ninja. Sometimes we say. <laughs> He is a ninja and, um, you know, he can't help it. It's part of the syndrome. He just, you know, it's a drive to get food. Their brains are sort of saying, you're starving. You will do anything to get food. So that's one of the things we've had to do. Yeah, this is it. Alma, you're touching on the kind of safety piece big time here, because obviously many kids with many other disabilities also have issues re relating to their own safety in the house that require a lot of modifications sometimes. And um, obviously yours is around food, but uh, children with autism that has uh, have maybe the nature of uh, escaping uh, that require locks and uh, safety mechanism like alarms and uh, chimes on the doors and all of those little yes. tricks so parents know exactly where the child is and also of course uh, children that have like a, a maybe explosive behaviors and you need to protect uh, items in the house and uh, protect your child from breaking items in the house in the aftermath of like uh, getting injured because of that so um, obviously safety is a big piece the sensory stuff with regards to how one organizes their house to be sensory friendly whether their child has a sensory sensitivity and they need as little stimulus as possible or if they have a child that is uh, looking for sensory stimulation that's like a totally different house that you need uh -huh. to arrange Mm -hmm. uh, in our situation, obviously, uh, because my daughter has quadriplegic cerebral palsy and she's using, um, you know, a wheelchair and a gait trainer and a stander and all of those other pieces of medical equipment, um, there's a lot of issues that relate to just physical accessibility and which I'll probably talk about later <laughs> in depth. But uh, I think the last piece in those uh, maybe four walls of, a, <laughs> I guess, a, disability friendly home is the the whole kind of organization the organization mechanism that needs to kind of work for both the parents and the child with the disability because you would organize the house differently to accommodate uh, different situations and um, mm -hmm. just to touch on that a little bit i know that for us because uh, our daughter was uh, or still is nonverbal, but before she even had her communication device her way to communicate about uh, items in in her environment and beyond that was by gazing um, with her uh, eyes towards the items that she wanted and it was very easy if she would gaze on the uh, on a certain bin to go through the items in the bin 
but if something was not in the bin and she wanted it, we were stuck. So like a toy to... bin? Yeah, You're talking about like example, a toy bin? A toy bin or just like, a, let's say, a bin with hair creams or like hair, hair ties, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And mm-hmm. you would present the items in the bin to her and something is missing. It's very hard without a communication device to explain which item it is specifically, especially let's say it's a figurine box and now she's... Uh, sometimes at loss for words with the limited communication that she had back then when she was younger. So organizing things is is a big uh, a big deal for some families, and um, <sighs> we'll get into those little categories later on. But I'll let you let you expand on your experience with that as well. Yeah, well, talking about you know where the child uh, spends most of the time. I think you know you're you're reminding me that. Um, you know, we live in a house and there are different rooms and we made a point of having um, his room close to ours so that we could hear if he did get up in the middle of the night and go downstairs and do something he, you know, maybe shouldn't be doing. So that's another privacy issue. He was right, you know, next to us for many years um, talking about kids who elope, who, you know, leave the house. Uh, we did have to uh, eventually get a ring doorbell so that we could have a video and a, a, a little alarm any in different places in the house um, to let us know if, for example, he was going down the stairs or if he was leaving the front door or coming in the back door. Um, and I want to state that these are all things that cost a lot of money, that what we're talking about, what I'm talking about, at least at this point, is this is cold hard cash it costs a lot of money to put these uh these the ring doorbell it costs money to put these digital locks on the door however i found out that you can put those locks on the door yourself we had no idea that we could do this ourselves and we actually did need it immediately because from one day to the next we realized he was going into the kitchen so we really did have to get it done immediately and you know, take it from me if you have a child, because it's not just Prader-Willi syndrome where kids overeat and get into the fridge and, you know, take all the stuff out. Um, there are many um, issues that kids have. A lot of kids with autism have hyper, what is called is hyperphagia, where they want to eat all the time and um, or just go into the fridge and make a mess. There are ways to get these things fun. You can do it yourself for some of these kinds of locks, but there, um, if your state um, sometimes we'll pay for items that are related to the disability that help keep the child safe. So it's always important to inquire. In New Jersey, it's called Perform Care. Uh, and once they turn 18, it's called the develop. Uh, I mean, 21, it's the, de- the Division of uh, Developmental Disability. But it's really important um, if, if the money is an issue to find out um, if if it will be covered by the state or by your insurance because these are real safety issues i mean if a kid leaves the house that's that's dangerous so having an alarm is something that we've had to do um and um i love what ira said about bells and you know the doors unfortunately you know we're able to control a lot of this stuff in our own homes but if we go to someone else's house once in a while, you know, if there's a vacation or if there's if we're going to a friend's house, their house is not equipped for our children. And there might be a way to rig it so it's um, doable and safe for our children in other people's homes. But one easy thing that I have done is put a <laughs> my friends have put a bell on their door. Um, uh, 
if he tried to leave our bedroom uh, recently at, I stayed at Iris's house. We went out for a visit and I physically, <laughs> she was kind enough to put a, a chain lock on her, on the door with a key. And at the end of the trip, I ended up using that and it worked. But I was so nervous that he would break the chain that I would physically move the bed every night in front of that I was sleeping in <laughs> in front of the door and that's when I found out that my son goes to the bathroom once or twice a night so in the middle of the night I had to move the bed again and follow him up the stairs to the bathroom and then move it back when I got in and then do it again a couple hours later when he got up so just to let you all know what we parents go through um, to just have a little vacation trip. You know, we're, we're Hercules in the middle of the night moving a bed. But um, these things can be done. You know, I'm saying it with humor, but it is, um, there is a way around a lot of this stuff. Again, you know, if I had read the website about his syndrome, I would have thought I could never go anywhere. There's no way that I could ever stay at anyone else's house. Um, but there, if there is a will, there is a way. So please know, I hope that you'll leave this podcast episode today knowing that there's a way to do this. And, you know, maybe not 100%, but there will be tips and tricks that you will learn along the way if you haven't already. And we hope you'll share those, those tips with us in the comments, um, how to keep your house safe and how to be safe once you, once you leave your home and go on vacation or stay at a friend's house. Yeah, I, uh, I'm listening to you, Alma, and uh, I think to myself about uh, about my daughter and about probably many other families with a child in this situation that as she grew older, the amount of times that we are able to visit other people's homes is close to zero mm. because uh, it's very hard to find a home that is accessible enough let's say that we can bring our own ramp to maybe bypass a couple of stairs uh, on the way there and bring her in but uh, at almost 14 she doesn't want to be lifted out of her wheelchair to be carried upstairs and she wants to stay in her chair for a good reason and uh, it's just it it makes a social life or visiting other people extremely tricky so when it comes to our own homes, I think that uh, it's a good thing to remember that uh, some families in, I guess, in lack of any other possibility do tend to host a lot. And mm -hmm. I want to acknowledge a friend of mine from Calgary, Alberta, who said, I can't host ever in my own home because of my child's behavior and how our house looks like now that I have this child. So I, uh, I know that some people have that as a challenge as well. They can't go easily to visit other people without, I guess, finding the right uh, support for their child with a disability. And they can't host uh, because of the situation in their own home. So A, for all of those families out there struggling one way or another with the redefinition of uh, their house as a home, and uh, struggling with uh, accommodating their child and somehow still feeling like their house is their house. We hear you. <laughs> we are there too <laughs> in so many different levels. And um, my, my thing is that uh, the stages in a child's life also define the different levels of intervention or accommodation that is needed. 
mm-hmm. I, I can definitely say that for kids like uh, Karen, my daughter, who as they grow, the equipment grows with them. It's kind of uh, always hard to even understand what would the needs look like in the future. And I uh, feel that right now as we are finally, we reached a point in time that we have to kind of design a wheelchair accessible home for her. And I, I know that I can probably predict very well the next five years. Can I predict 10 years from now or 20? That's, that's a challenge. And I want to touch on something you said, Ama, about the locks. And one fine day, understanding that you can no longer kind of protect him without putting those locks all over the kitchen doors and the cabinets. For us, um, we had these moments of realizations a, a couple of times when it was a moment too late, i.e. like that you cannot carry your child to the bathroom anymore. Like one fine day, this cannot work anymore. Or um, at the beginning of this year, we had a tornado alarm and we needed to run downstairs with our kids and uh, my daughter had to be carried downstairs and we didn't quite know it's an old house. The stairs are very steep, who would do that and how? My husband carried her downstairs and had a weak log of a backache later on and it was like dangerous and scary. So we were like, we cannot stay in this house. (laughs) This is not safe. And with the bathroom situation, we understood that we need to have a ceiling lift because we can no longer lift her. Now, from the moment you reach the conclusion that you actually need to apply for the equipment and get it uh, funded and then get it purchased and then get it installed, there is probably a gap of a year. How do you take your child to the bathroom during that one year? This is a year of misery, unless you're a smart person, smarter than me for sure, and think about those things ahead of the game. So in this episode, I want to encourage parents to try to be proactive. And in that sense to, uh, I guess, read, learn and talk to other parents and try to predict your child's needs because it's very hard to try to, to guess when things would happen to your own child. But you can survey other parents around and mm-hmm. try, to, try to make a calculated guess. And if you can save yourself the agony of just being so desperate, waiting for a piece of equipment while you have a daily struggle of carrying your child to the bathroom eight times a day, <laughs> you know, then uh, you'll, I think you'll increase your quality of life a bit. Yes. And this, I'm so glad you're bringing this up because this brings up a lot of the issues that we discussed in our episode about finding your people in your community because who are you going to ask you know what's going to come next what products are good for us to have in the house it's going to be people who are in a similar situation so for us we were on facebook pages learning from other people who had older kids what kind of locks they used um you know what the best what the easiest thing to do was and we we didn't have you know, we had to do trial and error with a bunch of locks, but but the trial and error came with the items that people had recommended to us that, that ended up being the best for us. And, you know, I want to go back uh, to uh, the issue of going to other people's homes to that are that can accommodate us. There's nothing more um, that's more of a relief than, for me, going to the house of a family that has a child with Prader-Willi syndrome for them to stay over or to just hang out there because I know it's going to be safe. And I'm wondering for you, 
um, Iris, if there are people, you know, saying that there, there are pretty much zero places where you can go to accommodate her, people who have children who use wheelchairs um, would be, you know, and maybe you don't have those at the moment, but that is another example of if you meet people and you have, you know, this in common and you end up socializing and like them, that's that's a great place to visit because they will be able to to have the space and the you know the house arranged in such a way that that Karen could get around in the wheelchair or anyone else who's you know in that situation yeah i think that um, in general um, when it comes to homes uh, a it's amazing that uh, when people do kind of invite us over and they try to kind of rearrange and uh, like in your case, you know, you had a delegation of four people running to, you know, accompany us from the moment we parked to actually like dragging the wheelchair up the stairs that we can like go in. If it's just uh, me and uh, my daughter alone, no can do. <laughs> but uh, you need it's, more people. It's, uh, it's always also uh, when you go to visit, it's uh, a, a lot to do with the other family and how. Uh, able and willing they are to to help make it possible for you to come over and, and that that's the another emotional piece that i just want to point out that's hard you know i imagine to put people in that position because oh they're going to have to physically help us they're going to have to have everything right or else we're going to have to leave and that causes a lot of stress you know you we don't want to put people out obviously um there there's a lot uh, to be said about like visiting other people's homes but the the thing is, when it comes to our own home, I think that there is a big emphasis all the time about how to make the home accessible to your child and very little thought and emphasis about the rest of the family and what happens yes. to them as a mm -hmm. result of the changes in their lifestyle with the child with the disability. So I want to ask our listeners to kind of focus and concentrate first of what a home means to them and what are their priorities and start there because it is very, very easy. I've been there too, to get lost in this like spiral of getting equipment, getting aids, getting services into the house and all that. And then one fine day just to find yourself lost in your own home. And that being said, Alma, I know that um, you you have seen us uh, in our New Jersey apartment, and this this was a a situation that was in some way more restrictive in others. Even though it's it was a smaller kind of living arrangement, it mm -hmm. had more more freedom. But um, at the end of the day, knowing your priorities, I said it again. Never mind. Knowing your priorities <laughs> helps. Uh, design or think about everything else in your child's life. I think yeah. that we put a lot of um, effort at the beginning in uh, versifying the positioning options for Karen. Uh, that means that we didn't want her to be in the same chair, in the same position for extended periods of times. So we purchased a bunch of different seating mechanisms and systems for her, including a uh, Firefly, go to sit, which is one of my favorites. But in addition to that, we had the, the power wheelchair, we had the manual wheelchair, we had um, a, another seat that she could kind of like sit in in the living room, um, the go to sit, a, a bean bag, etc. 
that was great. You know, we decided that each activity would be taking place in another chair or some of the activities were uh, actually on a stander, etc. And then mm-hmm. we versified how many positions she kind of is assuming in a day. Yeah, so she has that variety. She, she has, has that variety. Yeah, yeah. Did other people uh, had the freedom to walk freely in our small living room? Was it easy to move from one room to another? No. In retrospect, would I do the same? No. <laughs> like I, I had to also consider other people and what the house would look like and how easy or uh, hard would it be for everybody else to kind of maneuver about. We had to say goodbye to a really nice, huge beanbag that we got as a gift for one of her birthdays because it took half a room and, uh, you know, New Jersey apartment rooms are small. We could not yeah. like, keep it. It was beautiful and uh, maybe fun, but the amount of fun was was not worth it. So um, my point again, think of yourself first, what is important, and then redefine how you make priorities for your child. Because if you're kind of hating your own uh, life circumstances, then there is a dramatic decrease in your own level of happiness and quality of life. Yes, absolutely. And some things are negotiable, some things aren't. Um, and you're, you're, you're making me think of something that, that kind of cracks me up because when we put in the ring doorbell, um, it's a video that you see, you know, if the person's at the door and we had to put one in the back door because there's an entrance to the kitchen from the back door. And without mentioning names in my family, some of my families were very upset about that video camera. Um, documenting what time, for example, people were coming in at night, sneaking in through the back door and uh, maybe seeing some of the activities that were going on in the back, you know, in in the backyard area that were seen on the video. So that was a sibling issue that, you know, we had a sibling episode um, already that we've uh, recorded, but sometimes it's a perk to have a child who's in need of certain accommodations because then you see what's going on behind the scenes with your other kids that maybe shouldn't be happening (laughs) but they were you know we had we had many discussions it's not not negotiable because they were not happy that there was a you know documentation of things that they maybe didn't want documented but we had to do it for safety so um some things negotiable some things not and the the main goal is safety but there are a lot of ways that we could be creative to not have people feel like all their privacy is you know gone or you know for example with my other kids again i have four kids and one of them has prader willie syndrome we have situations where the kids will eat in the basement and we can lock that door so that he is not present and he does not see what's going on and he doesn't have to feel tempted and um left out because that's what the kids the other kids you know need that freedom to to be able to have their friends over and eat cheese doodles you know things like that that a typical kid is going to want to do um there's a way to work at least in our house and i'm sure in many of your homes a way to be you know it's just about thinking out of the box and being creative to make it like you're saying like creating different spaces for karen so that she can feel like she's going into different rooms to do different things as opposed to always being 
you know, in one chair. So a lot of, you know, this, this situation for many of us really does force us to think out of the box and to um, learn from other people. We could see what other people who have similar situations are doing. And that's where I get a lot of my ideas, simply talking to people who I've met along the way. Yeah. I think that um, uh, also in our house, just to revisit the camera situation, at this point in the game, we have cameras all around the house. There is only one guest bathroom that does not include a camera. This is the level that with regards to like wheelchair accessibility, it's all those features that people always take for granted, like making doorways wide, they're having ramps or zero, uh, I guess, uh, how is it called zero grade entries so you can kind of uh, easily access um, the house from outside etc but there are other things uh, that are more i guess in line with uh, sensory sensitivities or uh, sensory impairments that people mm -hmm. need to focus on as they're thinking of their living environment and even something as simple of as changing like fluorescent lightings can be a big, big difference for someone who has epilepsy, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, so as we are considering our living space, we need to think about all of those elements, like uh, the lighting, uh, what do we uh, choose in terms of the brightness of lights in our house and the, um, the lighting fixtures or um, levels that we want to have in our living room or other rooms. We need to think about colors in general if your child has a, a visual impairment, choosing the colors of different rooms, even the the floors can be uh, put in a, in a way that there is a pattern and it's easier for the child to find themselves in the space. And all of that can be done in a really, really nice way. But again, it's a, it's a matter of uh, thought and planning. There is a big, big element for noise level. And depending on the child sensitivity, it means that sometimes you would need to maybe even change hardwood flooring to carpets. So there is a little bit less noise. In our situation, for example, carpet is a no-go because it's so hard to maneuver with a wheelchair or a gate trainer. So that's that's another take on that uh, thing. But putting and putting putting carpeting, making sure, and this the, this goes for most children, but putting carpeting on the steps if you have a child who you know, maybe has a lot of energy and is always running. It's very easy to slide on the, on, you know, down the steps if you don't have some kind of, you know, carpet there. But it, even the opposite is important. Sometimes you want a creaky house so you can hear when kids are sneaking around. So there's, you know, it's very individual. Um, it's very individual and it's important to think about all these things. One of the things um, that I'd like to add is the actual space where you're living. You know, you had mentioned living in an apartment, um, a small apartment, and that was really difficult. Moving to moving to a place that's affordable, that has much bigger, you know, much bigger house or apartment for, for less money in a different state, perhaps. I mean, it might have to go to that point where you're actually thinking, we need to move to that a place where there's more room. Someone who left New Jersey and moved. It does remind me. I didn't want to. Midland, Michigan. I didn't want to say mention any names. <laughs> I didn't want to out you, but sometimes people have to move to another state, and it worked out great for you. It might be a real compromise for other people um, to have to move away from you know friends or family or community. But if it means being in your home and being comfortable in your home 
that's going to be, you know, a compromise that we might have to make. Yeah, I think that uh, in that case, you also need to uh, remember how we framed this whole move. And this is the mother of all positive thinking ever, right? How did we frame the move? <laughs> how how did we frame the move? As a great success, a big upgrade. Oh, And yeah. We were looking at all of the positivities that we could find in Midland, Michigan that we didn't have in New York City. <laughs> we were like literally living half an hour from Penn Station. We only had to cross the street. And go on a train from Bloomfield, New Jersey to Penn Station, 30 minutes. Now mm -hmm. add to that that we were living across the street from a pen, from a train station that wasn't wheelchair accessible. <laughs> oh, that's right. All those steps, all the yes, steps. Yes. So this was the irony no of our life. My husband right. would go to the Natural History Museum with my son on a Saturday because my son really wanted to go on a train. And then he would go the following day with my daughter. Now, if he wanted to like go to the city with my daughter, Alma, to the Natural History Museum, we had to take the car, dri drive to Montclair, go on the train from Montclair to Penn Station, take a subway, and then take like walk for like 10 blocks because that was the closest subway station that was wheelchair accessible to the museum so going with my daughter to the city wasn't fun even when we were living there so when we moved to midland michigan we said we are only going to focus on the bright side of this move and we've been doing so and it's been working fabulously yeah you never know so sometimes one door yes. closes another opens yeah and that being said i think that the um the trick to all of this is to try and think in advance about maybe in this case i want to say it like that worst case scenario like what would be the worst case scenario your child is now a, a toddler but if a, such and such behavior continues then probably from this day onward when you frame pictures in your house you need to use perspex and not glass Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, because someone might break your pictures in the future. Oh, Do you okay. see? Uh, if, uh, if your child has a, a brain injury uh, or another disability that implies that there might be a mobility challenge, do not move to places whether it's an apartment or a home that is not uh, i guess on one level or with an elevator or wheelchair accessible in one way or another try mm -hmm. to protect yourself by planning for the worst case scenario yeah. and then all that can happen is that you can be pleasantly surprised that's right in general when we talk about accessibility Uh, if you plan for something that to be accessible, it makes everybody's life easier regardless. Um, so plan for accessibility, enjoy the benefits of it. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then worst case scenario, you'll never need it. And that that's would be right. lovely. That's right. Anything Beautiful. else to add? Beautiful. Anna? Just keep things high up so your kids can't get them just like you would with a typical kid. Um, <laughs> Somebody was just uh, talking on, on one of the forums for Prader-Willi syndrome that their child keeps going into the bathroom and the kitchen and opening every shampoo bottle, soap, and just dumping it out. And a lot of kids do do this, and they do it as they get older if they have certain challenges. And, um, you know, these are the kind of things you put, you, you just figure out different ways locked up in a cabinet because um, nobody wants to waste 
the money or have this waste the time cleaning it up constantly, put things out of reach, lock them up um, with a simple, you know, a lock that can be very easy for you to open. Just, you know, even the smallest things can make a difference in your level of stress, you know, to de-stress. So just take advantage of all those things to and again the number one thing is safety but we want to make our houses as comfortable as possible and there are inexpensive ways to do that more expensive ways but we can try to to get um to get things paid for by the state by the by um the organization them, themselves even reaching out to companies and saying i have this particular situation i can't afford it would you do a you know pro bono installation or something like that you know all people can say is no and also um uh gofundme pages sometimes people do gofundme pages for help getting help with those kinds of things and so just again always think out of the box having a child with a disability can allow us to really expand um, how we think about things to to you know ha be as happy as as and safe as we possibly can. And today, at the end of this episode, I want to uh, add to our shout out that we usually have that we ask people to share their kind of living arrangement and their uh, ideas of how to better your home so it feels not like a house but like a real home what did you do for your child and for your family and this time i'm adding to the request if you don't mind share pictures so we can actually mm -hmm. see what you guys yes. have done and learn from it because a picture is worth a thousand words and because we don't uh, disclose anything about children by sending pictures like that uh, we'll be delighted and uh, alma thank you again for your companionship here And Thank we'll you. See you next time. Thank you. See you next week. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs> For more information, please go to www.twomomsnofluff.com. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and give it a five star rating so more people can hear it. Thank you.